Welcome to the Slay Podcast with Leanne Gabriel. Listen in as she leads and empowers with stories of inspiring women making a difference in today's world. I'm really thrilled to be here with you for another exciting episode with a fantastic guest speaker today. Uh, Today, we are going to talk to you about something that's really important, and that is setting yourself up for life and your family and all kinds of interesting things around estates. And that may not sound really exciting, but trust me, this is so incredibly important to you. So I wanted to bring in an expert, and we are joined today by an amazing attorney in the Maryland area, Michelle Greer. Thank you, Michelle, for being here. Thank you. Very thrilled to have you here. And, you know, normally, just being transparent, when you bring up the word estates, people don't get really excited. And most people often try to figure out a way to avoid engaging in planning or why it's important or any of it. So before we teach people, I would love for us to start off today, Michelle, if you would, um, you know, and just take a few minutes and talk to everybody about why this is important. If you're 18 years or older, why is it so important to address this topic, please? Yeah, you know, thank you for beginning with that because it is kind of what my clients think of as a morbid subject matter. I mean, no one wants to think about what's going to happen when they pass. But the reason why it's so important is because when you don't have your affairs in order, then you leave it to someone else to make decisions for you, i.e. the court. But also what's very important is that you leave your family in such an incredible disarray. I can't tell you how often I have family members who are fighting over $25 or less, okay? And, and you know, and people wouldn't believe it. I have so many clients that, that say to me, oh, my kids get along, you know, perfectly fine. They'll be fine. They know where I want things to go, negative. Your kids are fighting over who's going to get the couch in the family room, okay? So that's why it's so important. You don't wanna leave something as precious as your assets that you've worked very hard for in the hands of people who don't know you, certainly don't love you, and you don't want your family bickering. You want them to have the opportunity to grieve and to respect your wishes. And the only way that that's possible is if you take care of your affairs early on. The other thing is when you said 18 years of age, No one wants to think about that. You know, that's the other subject matter. It's like, I'm not that old. Yeah, I get it. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm getting older either. Okay. But once you're over the age of 18, legally, you are considered to be an adult. And although you may not have anything the day that you execute a last will and testament, it doesn't mean that you're not going to, let's say, be in a car accident, for an example and you suffer a major injury and you're entitled to some compensation, but you're in a coma or something like that, and God forbid something happens to you and you don't make it. Now suddenly that 18 or 19 year old has something tangible to leave to their loved ones, okay? They're not a minor, and so the court is not going to treat it as if the parents are necessarily entitled to it automatically because you're dealing with a minor you're dealing with an adult. So the purpose of a will is not just to address the things that you have today, but also the things that you could be entitled to tomorrow. Excellent. That's an incredible example. And one of the things that I think is really important that you touch base on is if someone does have children and something happens to them, you want your children to comfort each other and not have hostility over something that wasn't clearly defined. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And that happens more often than not. Now, what if someone doesn't have children? Do they still have the same concern? I mean, you just gave one example, but let's say someone's like, okay, I'm an adult. I don't have any children. What are the concerns for them if they don't do proper planning? Yeah. And so, you know, the court is going to always look for some surviving heir. And so if you don't have children, and then of course you have parents, you have siblings, you have cousins, you know, you have extended family and it kind of just goes, you know, kind of down and spreads out. Right. Um, And so there will always be someone who could potentially be entitled to your estate. Um, And that someone could be someone that you absolutely don't like. Mm. (laughs) Right. Someone that you have never met or someone you have met and you've never got along all of your life. You just can't stand them. And it's the last person on the face of the planet that you would want to give anything to. But that's the person who's your surviving heir. So now what happens in an instance like that? What would you do with the last will and testament? Well, you could decide to leave everything to your best girlfriend or your buddy or a church, you know, or, or some other charity, but definitely not the person that you absolutely can't stand, that you <laughs> try to stay away from all of your life. <laughs> or, even, or a good cause, like you said, there could be a great charity or something. Absolutely. Now, what about in the situation if somebody doesn't have much net worth? Maybe they're looking around and going, well, I don't really own a home and I just rent an apartment. And, you know, what about somebody in those situations? Yeah, so it's kind of going back to that example that I use with the 18-year-old that that doesn't necessarily have a lot today. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have something tangible tomorrow. It certainly doesn't mean that there won't be something that you could be entitled to compensation wise. And so you want to plan, don't look at that the big picture is not really focusing on what is right in front of me today. A will, if it's done properly, is designed to grow with you. And so when we do a will, we always have a residuary clause. And what that means is whatever we don't capture in the will today. So you may not have a house, but the residuary clause would cover the potential of you owning a house later. Or you may have one house today and you decide a lot of clients to say to me, Ms. Greer, what happens if, okay, I put this house in there, but what happens if I sell that house and get another house? (laughs) Okay, so it's designed to grow with you. Excellent, and what are the basics? So let's say someone says, well, I don't really like dealing with this because this, you know, people try to avoid the things that you said that make them think about finality or, you know, that they're not going to live forever. But if someone at least is going to get out of their comfort zone and do the very basics, what are the things that you would suggest? Yeah, so the very basics are, of course, your last will and testament, and that takes care of your wishes when you're no longer here. And then I recommend a power of attorney. The power of attorney is designed to appoint someone to handle all of your financial and legal affairs in the event that you become incapacitated. Mm. The advanced medical directive is also something that I recommend because much like the power of attorney, it allows you to appoint someone, but in this instance, to address all of your legal decision-making. And it comes in a part A and part B. Part B allows you to make your own elections for certain types of treatment or to withhold those forms of treatment as well. Your medical agent is there to make sure that those things are adhered to 
and to also make decisions on areas that may not have been covered in, in your you know, part B of the advanced medical directive. And so essentially you're looking at what do I do in the event that I become incompetent or incapacitated? And that could be temporarily or could be permanently. So you certainly don't want to find yourself in a circumstance for an example. And it also happens incidentally, I have a lot of clients who are married, but one of the spouses was the person who acquired property in their name for whatever reason, or they could have owned the property before they got married, just never put the other person's name on it. They're the ones that handle all of the financial decisions. And so they handled all of the banking and so forth. And so now, unfortunately, this other spouse who was not responsible for taking care of all of the financial needs of the marriage and the family has found themselves in a circumstance where that other spouse is incapacitated and now the mortgage company won't communicate with them. Or now they can't access bank accounts. Okay, so what do you do? You lose everything. That's what's going to happen because the only next alternative would be for you to have to petition the court to be appointed as guardian. How horrific is that for you to have to petition the court to be appointed as guardian over your spouse? I got to tell you right there, I am so glad you are talking about this because most couples tend to have one person who handles the finances, the bills and all of that. And people don't think, what about if something happens? And then you're not even allowed to talk to them. I mean, it's as crazy as your cable TV company won't even talk to you sometimes without permission. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly how it happens. And so I have had it happen many of times where unfortunately clients call me and I have to petition the court for guardianship. Amazing. Now you did mention a medical directive. And you and I can, you know, go lawyer to lawyer and get a little <laughs> nerdy here, but I don't know if everybody understands what a medical directive is and how crucial it is and circumstances and choices that have to be made. Would you just take a second and really expand on that? Yeah. And so the advanced medical directive, again, allows you to appoint a person to make decisions for you in the event that you become incapacitated or incompetent. But it also gives you the power of making certain elections. Um, something for an example, like being uh, maintained on life support. Okay, it's a big one. Um, you may not necessarily want that or you may want it under only certain circumstances if it's going to help to not only preserve your life, but to preserve the quality of your life. And so a lot of times your loved ones are coming from a space of emotions. And that naturally no one wants to make the hard decision of pulling a plug, if you will, proverbially. But if that is your wish, then you certainly want to make sure that that's in writing. And once it's in writing, then your medical agent and your doctor have to adhere to your wishes. So that's very important. Um, the other thing is, just using an anecdotal, I love using anecdotals <laughs> because it allows us to not have to learn the hard way, but to learn from other people's yeah. errors. Um, and so recently I had a, a client reach out to me. He was a dad. Unfortunately, his son was um, experiencing some medical emergency that placed him in a coma. Mm. And this young man was living with a young lady for about two or three months. He didn't have any of these instruments that we're speaking of. And this young lady was able to convince the hospital because she lived with him, that she was his domestic partner. He was the one, uh, you know, she was the one to make decisions on, on his behalf. And she forbid the parents from even coming into the hospital to visit their son. Oh. Can you imagine? No, I cannot. 
But if this young man, even at his age, had an advanced medical directive appointing his parents, that never would have happened. It is crucial. And I know people don't want to deal with it, but it's much worse if you avoid it. You know, it's better to have it all set up and put everything in place. Now, let's go to another direction, if you don't mind, because we're talking a lot about the planning, but sometimes somebody is on the other side of having to institute or process the estate wishes, will, medical directive of a family member. Can you talk a little bit about if someone has a loss in their family and they need to go ahead, what are the common steps? What can they expect? And how does that proceed? So it, it, it's very similar if you have done your estate planning um, versus having not have done the estate planning. But it certainly is a simpler process. So let's let's start with if the person has the decedent has already planned for their their you know administration of their estate, and so they have a person that they have appointed as personal representative. Hopefully, that personal representative is not just finding out about it. And so let me put put that little important piece in there. If you appoint someone as personal representative, please let them know. Because it's happened many times for me where individuals don't know that they are appointed and so the estate doesn't get open, okay? If there is a will on record, and oftentimes there is a will on record, but it doesn't have contact information for the personal representative. And so no one else in the family can move anything because only the personal representative can, okay? And now it has to go to the court for a judicial probate, okay, instead of administrative probate. So. It is very important, again, for the personal representative to be aware. Now, once the personal representative is is obviously aware, they're going to need to present a death certificate and funeral expenses, and then they would go to the jurisdiction that the decedent resided in at the time of their death to open up the estate. There are nominal fees. I can speak for the state of Maryland, of course. You're going to look at spending of about $100 for a nominal bond. So you will need a nominal bond. Um, You'll also need $5 to get the estate open and $120 for publication in a daily record or the, you know, the Sun paper. Publication is there for the purposes of advising the general public, primarily creditors or potential heirs that the decedent has passed. So that's the initial stage of it. And then you have to keep the estate open for approximately nine months for the purposes of creditors to file claims against the estate. Um, but you are allowed to pay out certain things like funeral expenses statutorily if there are enough uh, expense, you know, um, liquid funds there to cover the funeral expenses, then you can pay that out. And of course, the estate has to be maintained. When I talk about that, I'm speaking of if there's real property, for an example, the mortgage would need to be maintained car payments would need to be maintained. Essentially, your job is to protect and preserve the estate until the time for creditors has passed. And then your job will be to administer and distribute the estate to the heirs. Great. So to to dummy down out of the lawyer world here, okay, (laughs) it's going to go for nine months because somebody might say, hey, you know, the person who passed owed this, or we have a debt, or we have a lien, or we have, and then after that, everything will be distributed to the family and to the different people who are beneficiaries. Correct, correct. I like that. So yes, absolutely. 
And but, sometimes, you know, people don't, don't like to hear these things. Oh, what do you mean? I have to wait nine months. So here are some other things that I talk about in estate planning. Um, a lot of times you, you'll hear attorneys talk about things like uh, doing a trust, for an example, so that you avoid probate and all of that. I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, and so we'll get into that a little bit if we have time. But here's what I would like to say. There are other ways that you can avoid having your estate um, is so challenging for a personal representative. So some of the things that you can do is if you already know where you want your property to go, for example, bank account, then you can list those beneficiaries' names as POD on your bank account, paid upon death. I recommend it all the time. Um, any other benefits, retirement benefits, life insurance policies, be very clear about who you want to name as beneficiary. Okay. Um, also, I strongly believe in prepaid, uh, you know, uh, preparations for your funeral arrangements and things like that, if at all possible. You certainly do want to put it in your will. If you're able to um, purchase a life insurance that's specifically earmarked for paying for funeral and burial expenses, I would strongly recommend that as well. Because what you don't want to do is pass debt to your loved ones. So I have a lot of times clients will say, I want to leave my house to my children. And so one of the first questions I'll ask is, is your house paid for? And I say, no, it's not paid for. So then I say, well, do you have insurance to pay that property off upon your death? No, I don't have that either. Can your kids afford to maintain that mortgage? Uh, I'm not too sure they have their own house. Okay, so then why are we trying to leave the house? <laughs> the I'm so you're, glad you're talking about this because people don't think about it at all. Yes, yeah. So you're leaving debt. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's wonderful that you have, you know, sentimental attachment to the house, but guess what? We don't want to think about these things. You know, I talk to my kids about estate planning too. And so I'm like, I'm thinking about leaving your house, and they're like, Mom, I don't know why we don't want that. <laughs> Oh my God. And I was so crushed. I'm like, I worked hard for this house and I'm trying to leave your house. They're like, well, we don't want the house. <laughs> we rather well, the sell other, it. The other piece is um, the emotion too. So, you know, I, one of the things that's really important is you want to think about the person that's got to handle all this or children that have to handle this and the grieving. So I remember when my father passed and it was really hard. And then on top of it, we had to go to a funeral home and figure all this stuff out. And just the mechanics of it and the conversation about finances and who wants to do that? You're so heartbroken at that moment. It would be so much easier if the parent just handled it and said, everything's done. This is where I want to be. You know, if yeah. they're going to be buried or cremated or whatever, it was all handled. At least it'll give the other person an opportunity to grieve and not be stuck in the ugly logistics of losing someone. Absolutely. The emotional piece is, is very um, significant. And a lot of times the estate doesn't move just because the person's not ready. You know, I, I remember when my husband passed, for goodness sakes, I, I didn't move anything in the house for, I know, a solid six months. And that's before opening an estate. For six months, I couldn't breathe. I'm not touching anything. I mean, it's like a mausoleum. <laughs> and everyone on the outside looking in, of course, can kind of point the finger and say, hey, you're not doing anything. Why haven't you done this? Why? Haven't you done this? Because you can't breathe. You've just lost someone, you know, significant in your life. So, yeah, to the extent that we are able to save our loved ones, the, the burden, because that's what it will feel like to them. 
is a daunting burden on top of having to grieve your loss. Absolutely, we should do that. So I always call it the gift of estate planning in a sense, you know, um, because, and even, even to the extent that you take the bull by the horn and you have your loved ones, your children. My kids didn't want to think anything like, mom, what are you talking about? We're not dying anytime soon. We're not gonna, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you're going to do this estate plan. Okay. We're going to sit down. We're gonna <laughs> mom's do the boss. This is happening. Mom's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the other factor, of course, we can't, can't ignore the monetary piece of it. And so oftentimes clients are of the impression that estate planning is so costly. And, you know, truthfully speaking, yeah, it can be costly for some attorneys. Now, you just have to, to look for an attorney. And, and believe me, there, there are enough of us out there to do your research, to interview, to find out the ones that are not necessarily looking at it from a monetary standpoint, but who are very passionate about preserving the things that matter in your life and protecting you. Um, I have conversations with my clients quite often about listen, we're going to do your estate planning, but we also need to talk about planning for your later years in life. So that's the other facet of estate yeah. planning. You know, so it's not just showing up and saying, hey, I'm going to do a last will and testament <laughs> you know, um, to look out for my loved ones. Yeah, but we want things to work for you through the, the longevity of, of your existence here. And oftentimes, my clients don't think about these types of things. So that's where instruments like the power of attorney, the medical directive, and also the trust. So I'll talk a little bit about that. One, I don't believe in irrevocable trust. And I'll say it, you know, very plainly why. Why okay, would you- Before you do that though, hold on. I don't okay. want to assume everybody who's listening knows <laughs> okay. what that is. So okay. can you take a minute and just give a, you know, dummy down version of what that means for somebody yeah. who is not in the legal world? Yeah, so, so- the simple version of it is a trust is, let's look at it like a corporation, an entity, if you will, that you set up and you fund it with your own funds. So oftentimes, like for me, I, I may name it the Greer Family Trust. Mm -hmm. And then I would fund that trust to fulfill whatever my wishes are over the long haul, beyond my death, even now but beyond my death as well. And it would not pass through my estate. You have to appoint a trustee. Initially, the trustee would be you, but upon your passing, it would be whoever you have designated as a successor. So essentially that's what it is. So moving forward, we'll just use the Greer family trust. Okay. So why would I want to establish an irrevocable Greer family trust when it gives all of those assets that I have funded it with away to whoever the beneficiaries are, period. So once I've given it, I can't do anything with it. It's irrevocable. It's done. I can't step back from it. That's what irrevocable means. Okay. Now, some people do do it, you know, because they're sold a bill of goods that, hey, it's a good, you know, financial cushion. You know, you can do it for tax purposes, you know, all of these things. Well, so is the revocable trust for all that's worth. So we'll leave that to the experts, the tax and financial people, okay? But suffice it to say, I have never in all of my years of practice come upon a circumstance where I felt an irrevocable trust would be appropriate. 
But I do feel that revocable trusts oftentimes are appropriate in instances, for an example, where you have um, two spouses, one of whom may be suffering from dementia, mm. you know, or another illness, and the other spouse is pretty uh, healthy for the most part. And that spouse is concerned about if something happens to me the day or tomorrow, who's going to take care of my spouse who already has medical needs? Understood. Okay. So there, a trust would be very beneficial because you have an opportunity to say, in the event that I become incapacitated, this is how I want my funds to be used to take care of myself as well as my spouse who's in need for the duration of both of our lives. And then after we've passed, this is how we want to dispose of these assets. And you can also, in a catch-all, cover that in your last will and testament. I think it's amazing you're bringing it up, especially dementia. Sometimes people think about, oh, well, if I was in a car accident, but what if they're not? What if they have dementia and they're at that stage where they're sometimes in the beginning, they're in denial and there's some hostility around it. And then they progress into not knowing you know, what they wanted and they get confused. So it's crucial to address those things while you're healthy and crystal clear on what you would like. Yeah, you know, so while we're talking about the issue of dementia, just using again an anecdotal, I have had at, on at least three occasions where there are um, individuals, one in particular was a married couple and they did not have these instruments prepared, the medical directive, they didn't have the power of attorney and the spouse allowed the wife to go and visit um, family members out of town just for the weekend. They decided, the family members, of course, that they were not going to return this man's wife. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It makes your jaw drop, right? Yeah. So, so, so needless to say, this poor soul, he had to contact me to get his wife back. And then wow. once we were able to get his wife back, then I had to petition the court for guardianship over his wife, over her person, meaning her physical body, and over her property as well. Hansen, I heard this story before. That's crazy. Yes. And it's very sad. It's very sad. But when he contacted the police, yeah, he's a spouse. And you're thinking that, hey, this is my wife. Bring her home. That's enough. No, it's not enough. He had to have a court order to bring his wife home. Mm -mm. And, and depending on, and we're talking about out of state. Now, fortunately, I was able to intervene before there was any kind of residency established in this other state. This is how complicated this can get. But had she been there long enough with these family members, then they could have potentially filed for guardianship there and have gotten it over her. And we never would have been able to get her back here, at least no time soon. Crazy. So there, there's the aspect of protecting yourself. There's the aspect of protecting your assets. There's protecting what your wishes are in the case of, you know, medical emergencies or medical incapacity. And then there's also not having someone be tortured with the emotional and financial burden of having to go to court to fix all of this. Just because they didn't take the time in the beginning to, to do what was right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've had it where people have, have kidnapped elders. This happens all the time with seniors. 
okay, or those who are suffering from some type of mental health challenge. And family members recognize that they are vulnerable adults. And so they take advantage of them. They take possession, physical possession of that individual. And then they take them and they have estate planning documents drafted up, and then they transfer assets into their name. And you know what? One of the things I I do want to talk to you about real quickly before we wrap up, people don't understand that, you know, since we're going down this rabbit hole of dementia here, that the legal standard for somebody to sign a document versus the logical standard are not the same. So you may talk to someone and be crystal clear that this person has dementia. But if you would tell everybody what the legal standard is, if they sign something changing their wishes versus what a normal person would think, tell them please what that is, because it's a shocker for most people. (laughs) Now, if they're listening on the podcast, you got to say something. I know you're holding up your hand. (laughs) Ah, zero. Zero. Now, Now, let me just preface that by saying you're not zero in the court, but we're talking about what happens outside of court, right? Zero. So it's kind of common sense to those of us that know, but no, you can literally march your loved one who clearly has dementia there in front of a notary who's not really pressed, okay? And let me just say this, in the state of Maryland, you don't need a notary for a last will and testament. You just need two witnesses. Now, these two witnesses can be this person who's trying to get you to sign this instrument's best friends, okay? So you get Bob and Joe to show up and you say, here, listen, I'm gonna bring uncle so-and-so over here and I want you to witness this document and they do it. Now, everything that belongs to uncle Bob belongs to this individual. And now your family has to fight this out in court. They have to subpoena medical records to show that Uncle Bob had dementia at the time that this instrument was executed. They have to hire handwriting experts. I've done this. <laughs> it's crazy. yeah. And you hear it's, a lot of stories about elder abuse where people will, yes. you know, whether sometimes it's a relative, sometimes it's not even a relative who will go, oh, this person is vulnerable. I can get them to, you know, change everything and sign things over. It's crazy what goes on. Yes, it's crazy. And before we jump off, I I do want to say this. Be very careful when you're listening to even legal advice. You know, I've gone back and forth with some of my colleagues, again, about some of these instruments and their, their failure to have these detailed conversations with their client. I mean, every client has to be treated on a case by case basis. So I had a family that contacted me recently, an attorney drafted up a trust instrument This poor soul, the decedent, only had a house that she wanted to leave to her children and a car. Why? For the life of me, this person created a trust for this poor soul. I I couldn't tell you. But here's what I will say. The trustee that the decedent appointed moved himself into this woman's house after she passed. He never opened up an estate for her. And he didn't have to because, remember, the trust does not pass through the estate. So he didn't have to open an estate for her at all. So he had all of the power in the world to do exactly what he did, abuse his fiduciary power, moved himself in her house, 
for over a year. He didn't pay anything. The family had to contact me, pay thousands of dollars in order for me to get this trustee out of their house and this property sold and divided between her heirs, which is what she wanted. And guess who screwed that up? The attorney, not the decedent, the attorney. You see- I got to tell you, Michelle, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you come on and talk today because sometimes people have the misconception that a lawyer is a lawyer is a lawyer. But look, if you translate it into the medical world, if you broke your foot, you'd go to a podiatrist. You wouldn't go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor, right? Yes. Yes. If you've got a sinus infection, you don't go to a cardiologist, right? But, you know, so normally lawyers, there's a, you know, a family lawyer, an estate lawyer, a planning lawyer, then there might be somebody who's a personal injury lawyer. <laughs> then you might have somebody who does corporate law. But if you're going to do the effort, make the effort, excuse me, to go and get this stuff done, go to somebody who does this <laughs> as opposed exactly. to well, my, my corporate lawyer or whatever, they can do that while they're at it because you're not going to get the expert advice that somebody like you would give Michelle. And I know that when someone comes to you with an area of law that is not your expertise, that you then refer to somebody. I refer it to someone who has the expertise. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so, because, you know, the damage can, can be truly irreparable if it's not done properly. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, a um, couple things. Uh, some people are going to hear this on the podcast. Some people see this on YouTube or be in the Facebook group. But no matter what, it'd be great if they wanted to learn more. If you wouldn't mind giving out your website, that would be great. Absolutely. So I can be found on every social media platform under Michelle Greer Esquire. Um, I don't mind giving my number. Um, You can reach out to me at 443-847-9155 anytime. You can't reach me, you can send me a text. Um, But definitely, I do give free consultations. I also come out and I speak to groups about estate planning. I'm, I'm very passionate about it. And so I do appreciate this opportunity to speak with your audience today. Well, I appreciate so much you giving your time to do this today. And for those of you that are in the Slay Facebook group, she's also a member. So you can post questions underneath this interview and she'll check all of that out. But thank you again for being here. And hopefully all of you will heed her great advice. You'll never regret being prepared. The problems come for you and your family when you don't do the things that you really need to do. So thank you again, Michelle. Appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you. Take care. Good night to you and your guests. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Slay Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to join our exclusive Facebook group, you can reach out to Leanna and her staff at slaywithlg at gmail.com. That's S-L-A-E with L-G at gmail.com.